My guest today is one of those people that just makes the world a better place. Kimberly Dudley is a dual licensed board certified therapist specializing in trauma recovery in the Pacific Northwest. In addition to private practice, she is a domestic violence advocate, speaker, and trainer with specialized training in interpersonal neurobiology, story-informed trauma therapy, and brain spotting. She has worked with inner-city teen parents, and she is currently working on her first book, Parenting Teens with Trauma Stories. She has a degree in human development and holds a master's in clinical counseling. Kimberly describes herself as a soul mama, an avid swimmer, a best friend, and a pursuer of the feminine wild. I asked Kimberly to talk to me today about her experience as a trauma therapist and the challenges of vicarious trauma. I've no doubt that you and I will leave this conversation not only wiser, but encouraged as well. So let's just start first just with some introductions. So you have a private practice, right? I do, yes. How is it going? It's incredible. In a lot of ways, I feel like I'm living my dream life. And I think that's a really interesting and complicated thing to say without giving like more information. Because on the one hand, I am living my dream life in the sense of getting to make my own schedule and working with, I call them my beloveds, like my patients are my Mm. beloveds, getting to choose the people that I work with and feeling very secure. And also, I am a trauma therapist in the midst of a pandemic. So... It's a lot right now, too. (laughs) Yes, it is. I definitely want us to tease that apart because it is huge. To focus on trauma is a really difficult space to be in right now. You're trained as a trauma therapist, which includes PTSD and a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. I'm guessing there's a lot of counselors out there who, when we get to the checkboxes of what's your specialty, will include trauma. Absolutely. Without actually having received specialized training in trauma. So I'm wondering from your perspective, what does being a trauma specialist really mean? You know, I think you're right on about that. And I think it's interesting trying to describe it because I think in essence, all of us are dealing with a a level of trauma. Uh And in my way of working and my training, it's always just been this natural thread that's been woven out throughout all of my career that I would work with trauma. And I've always been pulled to the higher acuity cases, meaning the cases that are like, yeah, this is obvious trauma in addition to the complex trauma that I also treat as well. So the question of like, where did I learn? What have I studied? So I've studied a lot of interpersonal neurobiology under Mm. Bonnie B. Nock. That has been the one that I have just loved and adored. She's the most brilliant woman I probably have ever come into contact with. And she's so incredibly compassionate, so aware of the humanness within people. So I have that both in my private and professional life. So my own was trained directly under her, had gone through the program. And so if you don't know about Bonnie, uh, she wrote uh, Brain-Wise Therapist. It's the kind of book, honestly, where it feels smart just reading it. And also she's so brilliant with what she does. And I'm not sure many people know this, but she was a direct student of Dan Siegel too. So it's like this drop down effect that I'm able to feel and sense in my own work. So that's a backbone. I've also worked really hard around Byron Keeler's work of story-informed trauma therapy. And he is a name that has also been very integrated into many areas of therapy in the Pac-Northwest. So 
that's where the bulk of my trauma training comes from. Like I said at the beginning, it's always been this thread throughout the work that I've been doing. And it's very hard for me to separate because that's my story. And so having lived that story of intensive trauma, gone through that own process myself, going into my program for clinical psych and knowing this feels very natural to me. I honestly can't imagine not doing trauma therapy. That's the way my entire brain has been organized around. It sounds like that is just who you are, what you're meant to do. Yeah, you're talking about your own therapy brings up a a question for me. There are a lot of people that enter the counseling field because of their own personal experiences. And that can be either just this beautiful, helpful part of their story into becoming really excellent therapists. And then there's some who continue to use their studies as their own healing. How have you experienced that with people? Like what's been in your own case, that balance of I've been through trauma, but I'm now in a place that I'm safe enough and healed enough that I can help others. Yeah. I love that term that I am safe enough. As a clinician, that has to be my top priority that I've done enough of my own work and continue to do my own work in such a matter that I keep my own system safe because that's what's going to bring other people into my office and create the safe space for them to do their own work. It's interesting the way you said that. I think it's so spot on. When I first started like whispering out into the rest of the world that maybe I was going to do this clinical psych program, it was very vulnerable because I think at that point I was probably seven years into my own trauma recovery. And I thought, I don't know, can I do this? And I remember thinking, Part of my training feels very selfish in the sense of I want to metabolize more of this and I want to understand and integrate more of the clinical language for my own healing. So that was a very strong motivator for me. And so that perspective of like really knowing what's the pull, what's the decision, what's the factors behind the decision that you're making in becoming a therapist and becoming a trauma therapist, I think it's vital to the work that we do. And the idea, again, I'm going back to like safety in a clinician, I feel safest around not people who haven't experienced trauma, but who know that they've experienced trauma and who have definitely worked really hard at recovering and working through their traumas. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Which is why all the programs require us to do our our own therapy, right? Because sometimes you may not be aware of of some of those motivations and that kind of thing and therapy, your own work can help bring some of that out. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer and we can only take our patients or our clients as far as we ourselves have been really willing to go within our own stories. So there's a constancy as I'm learning, especially I think at the beginning, I felt like I'm just barely half a step ahead of the people that I've tried to lead through this. And I think now it morphed into, I will continue to work on this within myself Mm. because The more I do, the better helper healer I can be out there for the people who come to me. Absolutely. And that brings up a a perfect segue into talking about the pandemic, right? Because we all of a sudden, as therapists, find ourselves experiencing the same challenges that are being brought into our offices, along with all the traumas and everything else that people are bringing in their individual stories. We've also got then the exhaustion, the fatigue, the fear taking care of our own kids, all the things that our clients are bringing in, a therapist are wrestling with. How has that been for you in particular just in the last two years? Yeah, I've noticed 
among kind of our people, meaning like clinicians <laughs> and also helpers and healers in other fields too. Mm-hmm. I've noticed since probably maybe the beginning of the year that all of us who had to figure out how to get it together real quick for everyone else, it's like this new way of suddenly the fatigue is setting in a different mm. way and we're starting to be like, wait, now it's my turn. Now I'm mm. the one who, before I had the skills, and I think this is even how I talked about it at the beginning, I have the skills to self-regulate because I've done all this co-regulating prior to this anticipatory co-regulation that I've done, right. not knowing that the pandemic was coming. So at the beginning, I had the skills to self-soothe. I could do that for myself, which kind of bled into the work that I was doing. And I think for so many of us to help out there for our patients and our clients and our kids and our communities, and I'm kind of getting the sense now that it's like, hey, I need to figure out how to retreat back and really take care of myself because I'm not exhausted. I've done this for two full years, and now I'm attuned to my own needs in a way, in way different ways than at the beginning. At the beginning, we're talking about work-life balance and we're talking about like, we can do it. I know this is really hard. Let's talk about how we move our bodies and feed and make sure that we're mm-hmm. sleeping well. And this has a very different scent, different flavor to it, in mm-hmm. my opinion, as therapists as we're walking into this next season. I agree. You and I are both are on therapy Twitter, which is yes. a great place for commiserating <laughs> with yeah. other therapists. And it would be so interesting to um, have somebody do a study on the themes last two years, because I agree in the last couple of months, even just since holidays, I feel like the fatigue has been real and people are really feeling that struggle of this has been two years and we held it together for everybody else and now we're feeling pretty exhausted when we first got started as therapists i remember thinking i'm never doing telehealth i don't like it it doesn't feel very therapeutic and when we moved in and i'm like there's not an option this is my option i'm going to have to learn how to do it yes and i think as therapists we're always trying to figure out simultaneously there's two tracks right there's the track of how does it feel for us as therapists how does it feel for our clients to be out there? Uh-huh. And how do we bridge the gap and hold both our own story and theirs as uh-huh. being important, different, same? What does that look like for us as we're traveling through? So thinking about your clients where there's this real theme of complex trauma, I wonder if I felt like with my clients, a lot of things got put on hold and we were dealing with the pandemic stress. We were dealing with all the new stuff. I wonder what you saw in your clients, uh, the themes of what you've worked on, and are you continuing to see a transition of what clients are focusing on in their recovery? I think those first waves, like we were were starting to talk about a little bit, those first waves, I had a lot of people coming in and they're saying like, all of a sudden, I feel very different. All of a sudden, I'm very anxious. I'm very depressed. Mm -hmm. I'm lacking motivation. And the language that I had at the time and continuing to use is the idea of like pandemic activation is still a central nervous system activation. So I work with a lot of complex PTSD as well. And so what I saw coming into my office was CPTSD. All of these people who have these wonderful distractions before of work and friends and church life and activities and sports. Those were all distractions from what was happening be- behind the scenes. Mm, yeah. They didn't have to feel 
their nervous system activation in the same way because they have all of these activities, all of these things to break it up. And when we go into a lockdown or, we, or even just a slowdown of our communities, suddenly those distractions are not within arms reach anymore. And I saw this explosion of activation that came along and it, what it looked like was, like I said, an increase in anxiety and depression are oh. probably the most common ones an increase of interpersonal distress that was happening between them and their family members. Right. I started seeing a lot of people breaking up with family members all uh -huh. of a sudden. Uh -huh. And I just kept attributing it to, yeah, your nervous system is jacked up. It's freaking out right now. And we're going to work on noticing, giving permission, curious about what's happening, and then working on that language to start soothing that back down. What an interesting way to look at it, almost in this backwards way from what I have thought of, which is the pandemic was the removal of distractions that exposed things that were already going on, issues that were already there. It's like now, like you said, I no longer have this community to work in. I don't get to go to movies. I don't go to church. I don't hang out with friends. So then I'm here with myself and my thoughts and, and all this stuff. <laughs> It's loud, and now it's exposed. Yeah, oh, yeah. And now what do I do? Nothing's mm -hmm. working. I can't handle this kind of stress anymore. I'm decompensating. They don't have that language, but that's a, that's what we're doing. Doing a lot right. of psychoeducation in those first couple of months. So you'd ask, is it different? Is what I'm seeing now different? Mm -hmm. And I would say the intensity of describing that has started to settle down into something that feels more rhythmic. Meaning, I'm still getting a lot of that. And also, people are not so surprised by their anxiety and their depression as they once were. Now they've lived in this state of survival mm -hmm. and discord within their family unit and frustration and lack of motivation. And I think that there's probably um, enough language on TikTok and social media to mm -hmm. talk about the fatigue that it's no longer as surprising. So I would say, yes, it's often similar, but it's so much quieter. And now we're starting to see, okay, what's wrong with me? Now mm -hmm. I'm starting to see, I understood this to be survival, but I don't understand why it's still happening. That's yes. Happening. Yes. I see where I'm at. I right. don't know how to move. I don't know right. how to change. And yeah. I want to be out of this yeah. spot tired that I'm in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And part of it doesn't just mean pandemic. They're uh, using the language. Often my clients use the language of, I'm tired of the pandemic, but what they really need is, I'm tired of the way I feel. I'm tired of the way I feel excluded. My loneliness has been compounded now for the last two years. Mm. And it's just not changing. I just don't see any kind of movement on the horizon. Right. That feels hopeless to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So therapists, especially those of you who are in the specialty of complex trauma, run the risk of vicarious trauma. I, I see this a lot in my clients who are social workers, nurses. They've just been so wounded by the stories of yeah. the people they're helping. And it's a really serious and legitimate issue, right? The DSM talks about with PTSD that part of that can be vicariously experienced. How have you experienced that, either in yourself or witnessed it in others? I think that's one of the benefits of having studied interpersonal neurobiology or IPND is that it it requires a very attuned knowledge. I, you can't see that. I always point to like my insides and like <laughs> pointing down here to my belly brain, the gut that's how I'm feeling what I'm needing in that moment. 
And so a lot of how I've dealt with it myself is really just like taking a deep breath, looking down into my system and saying, what's happening for me right now? What do I need mm. this moment? Because I think when we're not attuned to ourselves, that's when we can get very easily wrapped up in the vicarious trauma part that happens mm. when we experience life with our clients that are coming in with so much activation and trauma. I tend to think about, I do sit with extreme traumas. And so when I'm sitting with my clients, we use the idea of my system is going to respond and hopefully settle in soon more system. And so there's mm -hmm. a there's a part of the trauma work that we do that you can't skip that part. I'm using my neurons and I'm using my body to meet your body and bring it back down to a level that's workable. Uh -huh. And so how I've dealt with that then is continuing to ask that same question. Ooh, what does mm -hmm. that feel like? Okay. What do I need in this moment? And imagining what then the person that is across from me needs. But all that to say, yeah, in trauma, 45 minutes every hour, I'm going into the stories and my body is actually like living through what they're presenting in our mm -hmm. sessions. So yeah, it's a lot of words for me to say, pay attention. Yeah. And then I give myself permission to put it away at the end of my day. So Absolutely. in my brain, I've done a lot of work about, I try to finish my notes before I go home so I don't take anything with me. Mm -hmm. And I, in my brain, as I lock my door to my office, I start moving myself further away from the stories that I just contained. Mm -hmm. I go wash my hands, I grab some water, I let my body let go as I'm walking down the stairs so yeah. that by the time I get to my car, I'm not losing what I just witnessed for eight hours that day. I think that's really important, right? Because that, that, especially with newer therapists, that is a really difficult part. I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday ask that. How do you leave it at work? How do you not take it with you? And if you can't balance, that is where that vicarious trauma really can find root. And I think that it takes so much effort as a trauma therapist to take care of it. Like, mm. it's almost like this second part-time job that I do in taking care of myself, right? Whether that is paying attention to, well, it's not whether, these are the things that I do in, in mm. my daily life. I make sure that I'm eating throughout the day. And then I'm not only just eating quick foods, but I'm eating like nutritional foods <laughs> throughout my day. Mm. And I don't go more than a couple of hours without nourishing my body. And I'm mm. thinking about those things all the time in the background. I do a lot of yoga. How do we make sure that we're adjusting and posturing ourselves just right? Think about it when I sit in my chair. Monday through Thursday, I'm not very good with friends outside of my home. I only have so much energy to give. And mm -hmm. so I really protect those days because those are my work days. And then on the mm -hmm. weekend, I do a lot of recovery, a lot of hiking, a lot of meeting together with people and sharing what's been happening. But it, it really is. As you were talking about, paying attention and you were doing the hand signals yeah. on your body. My clients can't see that part of me. And so how do you, you know, trying to connect physically through a screen is another part of the challenge that therapists have been going through over this last two years. Yeah, you're so right. And we don't want to move very far away from our computers because then it somehow makes us feel further away from our patients. Mm. And so I find myself leaning in and it requires more of our intentionality around saying things like, you can't see it, but I'm pointing to my chest mm. and asking myself. Or mm. I find myself saying, I know this is really hard to see over a computer, but I feel like I'm having tears for you. Or did I miss that? Are you tearing up right now? 
And it, while it's in one hand, like a disruption to the work we're doing, it's also how we have to adjust so that we can do this work with Yeah. Them. But it also, in some ways, is such a beautiful way of bringing that to the forefront. Rather than just us noticing that they have tears, we are verbalizing that and saying, it looks like this is causing you to tear up. Tell me about that. And that's just another point in some ways of deeper connection because we have to say it out loud. You're so right. And it gives them permission to notice out loud as well. Mm. Oh, there's a shift in me. Huh. Okay. So advice for therapists. When people talk about self-care, it's always the, I think the bubble bath. Self-care has to be so much deeper and more meaningful than that to maintain and to be healthy in this field. So I loved what you said about paying attention. That's what we tell clients, right? right. What's going on in your body and what do you need to do to care for that part of you? Is there anything else that you would add to that as far as like how therapists can be really intentional and wise about their own self-care right now? I think what you said, it's so familiar to say self-care is getting our nails done or taking a bubble bath or buying yourself something. And I think that is one form of self-care. And to me, I would say that's not as not as deep of a level of self-care, mm -hmm. at least not for me. And so asking ourselves and sitting with what do you need requires an attention to detail within ourselves as well to really ask, oh, you need quiet right now? Okay. And giving ourselves mm -hmm. permission then to shut things out that maybe they wouldn't have shut out before we were a therapist. In my way of thinking, being a therapist is not a notified job. It's not mm -hmm. something you log into and log off of. Being a therapist is not only what I do, but it's who I am. I have, my friend actually said this the other day, looking at the biopsychosocial spiritual model, <laughs> for ourselves. How oh. can I check in with each one of those pieces for as my part-time job of self-care? So am I taking care of my nutrition? Am I'm a swimmer. I have to swim a couple of days a week <laughs> in order for my body to uh, release some of that adrenaline and to refocus. So that's mm. my thing. And then I've got to look at that social. Who's taking up energy in my space that I really, I can't have that energy depleted from me? Yeah. Who, serves me energy back. Who are the people in my life that fill me back up and I need to make more space for them? And then spiritually, what are our needs? And when I think of spiritual, I tend to think of like connection with uh -huh. something unseen. For me, uh -huh. it's a connection with the earth. I love being outside. So making sure that I've got enough of that kind of rolled in. And then of course, the psycho part, our mental health part. Am I yeah. pursuing my own work? Do I yeah. have a good friend? I think it's therapist. It's mandatory to have a good friend who's also a therapist and that we can check in on a level that just people who don't do the work can't. It's absolutely. Different. Absolutely. And we do have to be more intentional about that, again, because some of us are islands. And so we're not running into our coworkers in the office like before. Even if we are, there's masks on or it's just not as organic. So yeah. we have to be very intentional about all of that that you're talking about, the self-care of every aspect of ourselves, which again is what we go over with our clients all the time. Yeah. So we have to be our first and most important client. All of that you said was so important and relevant and meaningful. And I just, I hope that anybody listening feels like they were encouraged to take the extra time to just spend with ourselves and do some listening. 
And if I can encourage too, I don't want to make it sound like I'm perfect at it or that I don't have any other distraction. A big part of my world is I'm sole parent. I've got three kiddos. I run a private oh. practice. It is about that intentionality and making it important. I love what you said about we have to be the first client in our world. We have to do that first for ourselves. Thank you so much for your time today and for hanging out with me and talking. I loved it. Thanks so much for having me. This has been so fun just to hear about you and to get to here with you. Visit finishnotes.com for this episode's show notes and subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player.